This is an ABC podcast. Unless you've been hiding under a rock for the past 18 months, the pandemic has probably made you rethink aspects of your life, in particular, your career. But changing careers isn't easy. Overcoming inertia is hard and knowing where to start can seem really difficult. I'm Lisa Leong. Stay with me on This Working Life today because we step you through how to make a career 180 and we'll meet some people who've pulled it off. Criminal justice made sense to me because I had a family background in law enforcement. So I've got three older brothers and the eldest one is a forensic scientist with the South Australia Police. Second eldest is a prosecutor and the third works in criminal records for Victoria Police. So I was kind of surrounded by crime and crime stories. So I was really drawn to that, I guess. That's criminologist turned award-winning crime writer Mark Brandy. Mark worked for the Victorian Department of Justice for many years, and although working in crime was in his DNA, he just wasn't content. I then actually had a boss who was really fantastic, and she recommended that I see a career counsellor. And so I I did that, and from that, we really, I suppose it got back to my original love of writing, which I I had when I was a kid. I loved books, I loved reading and writing, and, and writing was really a big part of my career too. And so she recommended that I kind of try to pursue a writing career. But I suppose I looked at that and at that stage I had a, you know, I had a mortgage, I had other commitments (laughs) and all those things and, and writing I knew would not be a particularly lucrative step. So, Mark, how did you make that shift into writing? Things took a bit of a strange turn then because I had a, one of my brothers recommended that I enter a game show, which was Millionaire Hot Seat, because I was talking right. to him about, you know, that financially it would be too tough for me to pursue writing. And I kind of thought this was crazy, you know. I, I, I didn't think I'd win any money. If anything, I thought I'd be humiliated on national TV. <laughs> and I, I remember I took a sick day from work and I went down to the studios and I didn't tell anyone about it. And, you know, long story short, I was lucky enough to win. I, I got on. What? It was a millionaire hot seat. And I, I got on there for, for one question and I, and I won some cash. So that Right. Was, How much cash, Mark? Um, it was 50 grand. And I, and 50 I should say, yeah, 50 grand. And it's like, this is what I say to aspiring writers, you know, enter game shows because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's tax free as well, which is just the, the biggest lurk, I think. But I, you know, th- that was really. It, 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 it was really crucial because at that stage I was then able to go part-time at work and still keep on, on top of my mortgage. And I started a professional writing course at RMIT. Um, and it was a fantastic course. I, I kind of learned a lot about really the, the why of crime and really the, the sociology surrounding crime. And that really fascinated me. I have heard of so many ideas for how to make the pivot and slowly <laughs> turn your career into another. I've never heard about the millionaire hot seat uh, tip, <laughs> so that's very useful. But then you made a choice, didn't you? So you decided, look, I'm going to reinvest that money into the possibility or this dream of writing. So you decided to do a couple of things, and the, one of them was to invest in uh, developing your skill set and did you think, I'm just going to explore it? Or what was your mindset around investing in the course? Yeah, I had a, a very much an open mind when I went into it. So I didn't think necessarily that I was going to be a, a novelist or, or a poet or anything like that. I, <laughs> I, I went in and I, and I tried pretty much everything in the course. I did corporate writing, 
uh, short story, uh, novel, poetry as well. And I thought I'll find something here that I love, I hope. And if I don't, at least I've given it a shot. And I guess through doing that course, I learned that creative writing was really my thing. That's where I found like I, I really connected to something in, inside of myself. I thought, God, this is my passion. I'm really loving doing this. And so I had a few short stories published here and there. I, I started working on a novel and it was, it was all going quite well. And that was probably a couple of years into the course. And then something, I had a bit of a, a detour again because I was riding uh, my bike actually down Brunswick Street in Fitzroy and I had a, a, a bike accident. I had a, a car oh, no. turn right in front of me. I went over the handlebars. I separated my collarbone from my shoulder, broke some ribs. I had a couple of operations to put in a metal plate oh, in no. my shoulder. It was awful. but. I was out of action for about six months, but in a way it was kind of a moment of clarity for me too because in those moments you think about what's important, things like family, because I thought for a few metres either way it could have been a far worse accident. But it also really made me think about what I wanted to do career-wise with my life and that was writing. That's when Mark left his job to write full-time and that punt paid off. After collecting multiple rejection letters from just about every publisher in Australia, Mark entered his novel Wimmera in a prestigious UK award for unpublished authors. He found out via Twitter that he had won and the publishers came knocking. Wimmera became a bestseller. So while changing careers might feel incredibly risky, it's less so if you follow the right process. And someone who's an expert in that process is Kate Richardson. Kate's job is to coach people through this tricky time. Time to bust some myths. The first one is really the fact that people think, I've got to take a big leap into the unknown. And that's what creates a lot of fear and inertia. People never really get started because it feels too daunting. You might have kids, you know, family commitments, a mortgage, but also, um, you know, work is a huge part of your identity. And, and when you, particularly when you get to midlife, you've invested a lot in your career and you've got a network, you've got a history of jobs and education, which all add up to that identity and sense of self. So, when you're thinking about shifting away from that, it feels uh, really scary. But the truth about career change is that it's not about the big leap. It's much more about small steps. You know, there's no need to commit to a big change up front because you may not even know what you want to change to. What you do need to commit to is exploring a few future possibilities for your career. Because when you can identify those possibilities, when you can start to explore and experiment, you can actually build your sense of confidence in what's possible for yourself and also what you might actually like to do. So what's the starting point if I was going to make a change? Starting point is looking at what are your values? So what is really important to you? What really matters to you? Because our values play a big role in defining our happiness and satisfaction at work. So for example, if you have a value around freedom, then working in a hierarchical, heavily process-driven business might not be for you. If you have a value that's more about security, then you might find shifting into the world of freelancing quite challenging. Um, there's an exercise on my website, which, which is free, which anybody can grab. But even if you do a, a Google search, just to grab some words, sometimes just looking at some language is a good place to start. But 
Um, I always get people to think about a time they felt proud, a time they felt satisfied, a moment they felt really compromised and a time that they felt really envious. And if you start with reflecting on those moments or stories from your life, uh, often the values come from that. How many are we allowed to choose? I think it's good to have get really clear on on three to four core values. You might have a number of others, but what are those ones that you really hang your hat on and that really define key decisions in your life? However, some career changes really require a boots and all approach. Uh, and sorry for the whir of the air conditioner in the hospital staff room in this one. My name's Nika Grant. I'm a psychiatry registrar at uh, the Heidelberg Repat Hospital. So I worked as a lawyer for 10 years before switching into medicine. I'm not entirely sure what precipitated it exactly, but at some point very early in my career, I realised I wasn't a very good lawyer and I didn't really enjoy it. And I developed a pretty overwhelming, unabating interest in science and the human body. And I just got it into my head quite early that I wanted to be a doctor and the desire just never went away. And it got to a point when I was in my early 30s where I thought, I've only got one life. There's only this chance. I may as well just give it a go and see what happens. And next thing you know, here I I am working as a doctor. All going well, I will be a psychiatrist in about five years from now. So I will be 43 or 44 by the time I'm a qualified psychiatrist. So yeah, the study itself was difficult. The financial aspect of it was difficult. It was an enormous sacrifice, but I have to say, I was just so thrilled and enthralled by everything that I was learning from the very beginning. I never had a thought of, oh, I'm not cut out for this or I don't want to do it. I always managed to convince myself that it was worth doing because I enjoyed it so much. If values are one side of the coin, then strengths are really the other. And it's important to know that strengths are not just what we're good at, but what we're energised by. Because you can be good at things, you might have developed capabilities over time and skills over time, but may not really enjoy them. So you could be an excellent manager of people, but secretly find it pretty draining. So strengths are those things that you're naturally drawn to, that you enjoy doing, and that give you energy. And all the research tells us that rather than focusing on our weaknesses, when we focus on our strengths, we're more likely to feel engaged, we learn faster, we feel happier, and that's really when we're at our best. And how far back are we going to figure out our strengths? Well, actually, if you look back to childhood, there are often a few clues. So if you think about those things that you really enjoyed doing as a kid that you were naturally drawn to, um, then, then often there's a few clues there. If you were a natural performer, for example, and you liked getting up in front of a room or you were a um, someone who really enjoyed puzzles and figuring out things, there's often a few signals from our early lives that can help us think about our strengths in our adult lives. Kate, how much should we focus on transferable skills? Transferable skills tell us what we've done in the past, but they don't necessarily tell us what they want to do in the future. So it's a much better place to start with strengths and with values and then think about how transferable skills might help you position yourself and close the gap. And then you hear the word passion being bandied about uh, a lot. What's your view on passion, the word? (laughs) 
I think the whole find your passion is a bit of a furphy, to be honest, because not all of us have a passion. So if you don't, it can make you, uh, you know, feel a little bit insecure or worried. And the truth is that passion is often something that you discover. You know, passion can come from success. It can come from trying different things. So yes, some of us might start out knowing from our, you know, very earliest times that we want to be a cook and work as a chef. But for a lot of us, um, we discover passion and things we enjoy along the way. Now, when it comes to risk, leaving a secure, well-paid job in the middle of a pandemic is probably up there, but sometimes you just can't help when you find your passion. My name is Monique Ross. I am a forest bathing guide or a nature bathing guide. Um, I used to be a digital journalist, so I worked in digital media for about 12 years, um, writing and editing stories. I think I knew I needed a change for quite a long time. I, I think I was just kind of being led by inertia, but not really knowing what to do instead. So there was this moment of, I think I want to do something different, but I didn't know what that looked like. Um, at the end of 2020 was when it really hit me. I think the pandemic gave me a lot of perspective around okay, all these things that I think are always going to be there might not always be there. And all these opportunities that I think I can do anytime, maybe I can't actually do them anytime. So at the end of 2020, I just went, oh, I've got to do it now. And that's kind of around the same time as I found forest therapy. Um, And so as soon as I found that, it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I did have that moment of going, oh, this is it. It was like a puzzle piece clicked into place for me. Forest therapy, so it's also called chininyoku or forest bathing. Um, It is basically just a way to support your health and well-being by going out into nature and slowing down. I did a six-month certification, so for me it involved completely retraining. The money question was a huge one for me because, you know, you don't make much money in the media, but you definitely make a lot less as a forest bathing guide. For me, it was a little bit of a gamble of I, you know, I had some savings to fall back on. I had a bit of a safety net in place. Um, But really it was just about getting over the fear and just going, okay, I believe in this enough to believe that it's going to work out. That was the biggest one for me. It's kind of making the decision to not let fear dictate what I was going to do. And Monique is actually our former colleague. So great to hear she's found her calling. So while Mon made quite a sudden career change, Kate Richardson says it can be wise to ease yourself into the change. Yeah, so one of my clients was working in media uh, and she was really interested in the field of interior design. But rather than running off to suddenly drop everything and invest in a lot of study or or make a big switch, she started with a few small steps. Firstly, by having conversations with people that work uh, in that field. Because one of the things that happens is that we develop a, a network over our career, but that network is made up of people probably with similar jobs or similar um, interests and career paths to us. So part of the exploring process is about making new connections so that you can meet different people who are doing what you might aspire to do and who can help you think about what's possible for yourself and maybe open a few doors. So having conversations with new people is really important. 
The other thing that's really helpful is to start experimenting with things, looking at ways to gain some kind of direct access or experience with the career path that you're interested in. So whether that's volunteering, a short course, maybe starting a side project. But one of the things you can do is put your hand up at work, perhaps for a proactive project or um, you know, to look at an area where you might be able to develop a new skill. So going back to my client in her media role, she recognised that the, the company she was working for was about to embark on a huge renovation of their office space. So she put her hand up to lead uh, that renovation and that whole design process. And it was actually through the process of doing that in combination with research, having conversations, that she gained the courage to actually leave that job and invest in 12 months of study in interior design. She grew her confidence that that was a possibility that felt really good for her. And where do you sit in terms of further study and how it might best be used? I think sometimes people can rush into study. They can think, oh, if I'm going to make a big change, I'll have to go back to university and spend three years and a whole bunch of money. Um, And sometimes I feel that comes from a place of insecurity, just worrying that we don't quite have the skills to make a transition. So I would always caution people to start with a a short course or a free or low-cost investment in their education. And there are so many amazing platforms now, whether it's Coursera or EDX or LinkedIn Learning, where we can get a taste of something. We can invest in um, upskilling without actually dropping a whole load of money before we know, firstly, if we actually even need to invest in that study, uh, and secondly, if that career path is something that's actually right for us. How much time do you think we need to invest, Kate? I think it really depends on on what you want to do. And I always say to people, it, it's less about kind of a whole lot of big steps up front and more about consistency. So small steps taken consistently over time. I mean, for some people, they might be able to make a change quite quickly. And I've had a, a couple of clients that have made changes, significant ones, starting their own business or moving into a different industry within a few months. But for the vast majority of people, it's going to take longer. It might take you 12 months or 18 months. But I think if you can commit three or four hours every week uh, to the process of exploring what's next, then you will eventually make the shift. But you also need to embrace rejection and become resilient, especially if you're going to chase a dream in a creative field, as writer Mark Brandy found. You've just got to keep putting your work out there is the, is the big thing, you know. Like I... I suppose I I saw a lot of other authors who I worked with in the course and afterwards who, after a couple of rejections, just gave up, basically. I understood it in a lot of ways because it's a really painful thing. It's a really personal thing when you, you put your heart and your soul on the page and then someone says no. But you have to keep putting your work out there and you have to keep striving to get it better as well. And Publishing's a tough game here, and I don't envy those in publishing houses because it's a subjective business. What is going to succeed? What is going to sell? No one really knows necessarily until it's out there in bookstores. So it's anyone's best guess. But the only way you'll have a a hope of getting your work out there is if you keep sending it out and if you keep working. And I've got to ask, is there a difference between what you thought it would be like? to be a published writer and what is the reality of your career now as a published writer? You know, I I love it. I I love, love being a writer. It's certainly not the most lucrative business. You know, I have to cobble together in a way income from 
grants programs, from um, public appearances, speaking engagements, plus royalties from the books. So I, I kind of need that diversity of income in which to really survive. But, you know, I, I get to do something which I really connect with every day. And when I'm sitting down and working on a manuscript, everything else disappears when I'm in flow and that's the world I'm inside. You know, I don't think about time. I don't think about anything else. And there's really nothing else in my life that is like that. Nothing else that I feel that same kind of connectedness with. So I, I feel really lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And do you use that in terms of when you're advising others, whether it be writers or even anyone else in their careers or thinking about a change? Well, I'm always cautious when I'm advising aspiring <laughs> writers, you know, because like I think my, my story involved a lot of luck. Yes, there's persistence there, but there's a lot of luck as well. And I always say, you know, don't quit your day job, whatever you do. Like if you can keep your day job even part-time and, and keep doing what you're doing, that's the ideal scenario. But I'd say as well that, you know, if you can find something which you really get that sat deeper satisfaction from that you really love doing, and it doesn't matter, it matter if it's a creative endeavour or whether it's, you know, whether you're an accountant or whether you're digging trenches, whatever it is, if you feel some connectedness to what you're doing, that's what's really important. Do you think that the career of writing would have found you anyway, Mark? I think it probably would have, you know. That's, that's, that's a really good point because... Through my work, writing was always what I gravitated toward and what I focused on. So when I was working in government, writing was the stuff that attracted me, you know, working on policy, working on strategic plans, all that sort of stuff, even just answering correspondence from members of the public. I used to love doing that. So it was something that always came fairly naturally to me. So I think I probably would have found a path to it in some way, or it would have found me for sure. And looking for the clues along the way. And if you can't see the clues, then maybe the universe will knock you off your bike so that you <laughs> <laughs> take note, Mark. That, that, that's right. That's right. Well, I, I should have been paying attention that day instead of daydreaming about my novel. <laughs> It was a sign and looking at my signs along the way, when I worked at Woolworths or Safeway, my highlight was when they used to allow me to get onto the loudspeaker to announce the alcohol sales, right? Nobody else wanted to do it, but I was like, oh, can I have a go? God, that's really fun. Everyone could hear my voice like all over the supermarket. It was meant, this career was meant to be for you, no doubt. <laughs> Slabs walking out the door for twenty ninety nine. <laughs> Now that I've made the leap, I think I'm, I'm so much happier. I feel really energised by my work. My old work wasn't bad. It was actually great and I worked with great people. But I, I hadn't realised how much energy I could feel from the work that I do and I've really reclaimed that sense of feeling energised and excited about going to work every day. Um, when Sunday, you know, rolls around, I don't feel like, oh, I've got to go to work in the morning. It's, it's an excitement that I'm approaching. Um, it is hard. It is um, still in the very early stages and there's a lot of work that goes into starting a business from scratch and, and I'm kind of feeling it out as I go. 
but definitely it's it's an exciting place to be in. There's a lot of uncertainty, but I think that's everybody at the moment. Everybody's dealing with a little bit of, of the unknown. So yeah, I'm just trying to lean into it and just embrace embrace the unknown. The advice I would give to other people is to make realistic goals. Make sure it's not a case of the grass is always greener. Make sure if you do want to change careers or make a really dramatic change like I have, to do as much research as possible and try not to romanticise the change. But also just back yourself as well. Yeah, I mean, it's doable. Just do it. There you go. A 25-minute show summed up in three words. Just do it. Nicka Grant and Monross. Thanks also to crime writer Mark Brandy and Mark's third book, The Others, is out now. And if you miss some of our show and want to catch up, our podcast comes out every Monday, everywhere. And if you want to change at work, but a radical change just isn't for you, check out another of our episodes where we talk to international career coach Dory Clark about how to create a portfolio career. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.